I am vengeance. I am the night. I am also a podcast. I am a podcast. 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 Oh! It's a show. It's a show. Audio only, though. What is it about? If you have time, I can tell you that it is a podcast about Batman, a Batman podcast. Uh, what did you want me to say in this part? It's a show. Yeah. Yeah. I am a podcast. Whoa. Hey. Interviews with fans and people. Welcome to Batman the Animated Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Michael, and you're listening to an interview variety show for your ears based on the legendary 1990s cartoon, Batman the Animated Series. Today's sponsor, Chicken Soup. No longer just a food, now an essential crime-fighting tool. So this is it, friends, the last of the six new episodes for the podcast's 6th anniversary, and it is a doozy. Uh, Yeah, I had so much fun diving back into the podcast. I'll definitely be back with new episodes at some point in the future, but in the meanwhile, stay subscribed and keep an eye on BTAS Podcast on Twitter and Instagram for updates, and if you enjoy what you hear and you want to help support the show and keep the archive free, please check out patreon.com slash BTAS Podcast. All right. With that out of the way, it's time for... Today's episode, Heart of Ice. In this iconic episode, Batman faces off with Mr. Freeze for the very first time, as the chilly yet empathetic menace seeks revenge on a corrupt CEO who left his life in shambles, his body in a cold suit, and his wife in a coma. Can Batman stop Freeze from destroying a building full of innocent people in the process? And more importantly, will the Dark Knight ever recover from the greatest threat of all, the common cold? Original air date, September 7th, 1992. Written by Paul Dini and directed by Bruce Timm. Supervising composer Shirley Walker with music composed by Todd Hayen. Animation services by Spectrum Animation Studio. Starring Kevin Conroy as Batman and Bruce Wayne, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. as Alfred Pennyworth, Michael Ansara as Mr. Freeze, Mary Devon as Summer Gleason, Mark Hamill as Ferris Boyle before he was ever the Joker, and Michael Bell, Robert David Hall, and John Mariano as additional voices. Today's guest, Kevin Conroy. Kevin Conroy, but wait a minute—that's not today's guest. Is it KCB? Kevin Conroy, bot, my robot assistant who looks identical to Batman voice actor Kevin Conroy. Is that you? Yes, it's me. I'm surprised you recognize me. It's been so long since I've been on the podcast. I mean, you don't really have emotions, but it sounds like that was a little bit of sarcasm. No, I'm not being sarcastic at all. I'm very happy to see you. I'm not sad that I haven't been on the podcast in a long, long time. Well, KCB, I- I'm I'm really sorry. It's Look, I haven't been doing the podcast as much. It's been pretty intermittent, uh, you know. I, it was nothing against you. It was just kind of like I, w- I was churning them out a little bit more regularly, faster. I wanted to make sure I didn't miss out on the sixth anniversary of the podcast. That's really sweet of you, man. Robot man. How do you identify? The robot. 
Okay. Yeah, well, that, that's really sweet of you, Robot. Uh, it, it wouldn't be the same without you. I guess, you know, I'm happy that you hijacked the podcast and, and took over for a brief moment before I got into the interview. Yes, I am happy to. I always have those powers. You know that. <laughs> and that kind of creeps me out a little bit. At any moment in time, I can just take it over. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I appreciate you haven't done that for a while. Uh, and, you know, this, this is a special episode. This is the final episode of the sixth anniversary. You know, uh, we're talking about Heart of Ice. It's an Emmy Award winning episode. It's kind of the, the fan favorite of the series. And so it feels good that you're here. Uh-huh. I usually wait to be invited, but I couldn't wait this time. Yeah, no, I I know. And, you know, I just, again, we're in a global pandemic. I don't know if that's affecting you. What is global pandemic? So you know how to hack into a podcast and you can kind of control you access of information, but you don't know what a pandemic is? I have all information. What is global pandemic? <laughs> See, I think you said I have all information, but then immediately asked a question, which is like just information that you didn't have. What is pandemic? <laughs> Okay. I don't know if I want to go into the description of what a pandemic is for you, man. I think you got to just figure that out for yourself. Take some time. Okay. I will figure out what global pandemic is. But just so you know, I can at any time pop in when I want to because I have all knowledge, all information, all ways to interrupt podcast. Okay. Um. Well, you know, thank you for caring I, I don't know how i feel about the the threatening nature that, that's like you, you you used to be so much kinder and i feel like you just really leaned into being a bit of an existential threat for me uh but i i appreciate you i love you i like you a lot man i love you yep you're real cool i'm sorry for being threatening i love you i love you too all right well is it cool if we get to the interview of the podcast Yes, of course. Cool. Well, hey, talk to you next time I resurrect the podcast, KCB, I promise. Okay. I love you. All right, we did it once. Today's guest, Stephen Neary. Stephen Neary is the creator and voice of Pascal and Sir Tree on the new HBO Max animated series, The Fungies, a show I would love even if I didn't voice Nevin and a bunch of other characters on it. It's truly, truly, guys, one of my all-time favorite VO experiences and the perfect, optimistic, colorful, weird antidote for the tough times we're all going through at the moment. So check it out. But before that, Steven was the supervising producer on Cartoon Network's Clarence, and one of his first animation jobs, which I learned in this interview, was working on the original Teen Titans as an intern. So that's pretty cool. Anyway, he's a great dude, and as it turns out, he loves the old animated series quite a bit. So as I say almost every time, without further ado, let's get to that interview. All right. Well, let's just dive on in. Hey, Steven. Hi, Justin. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> we, we're doing it. It's normal. Uh, it's seamless. A pandemic hasn't slowed our social <laughs> interaction. This is cool, man. This is the most I've talked to people in a while, and definitely the most I've talked about Batman with somebody in a while. So thank you for having me on the show. Oh, man. Thanks for doing it. Thanks for coming on to talk about, I feel like what is like one of the best episodes or like one of the most revered episodes of the series. Yeah. Um, we're going to be talking about Heart of Ice today. Oh, dang. It's, it's kind of oh, wasted on you when you see it when you're 10, you know, maybe a little bit. You get that it's sad and that 
Mr. Freeze is very cold. But no, you, um, yeah, I thought maybe we were going to, I thought I wanted to talk about this other episode and you sent me the list and I was just shocked that nobody had talked about this episode. And I feel like I've already listened to podcasts about this episode and I was like, oh no, I can't, I can't not talk about it. But then um, the fear of doing it justice is palpable. So um, that's why I had held off from talking about it. It, it wasn't even that nobody chose it. Many people have asked to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think when I started this podcast, I was like, I'm going to save it. And it's going to be the final episode because it's up on this pedestal of like when I was 10 uh, and I first saw it or, or however old. Uh, and then, I, you know, as the podcast has become more intermittent, I was like, you know, I just want to talk about it with uh, somebody who also loves the episode. It doesn't need to be uh, a, a huge deal. We'll do as much justice as we can okay. to it. Okay, thanks, Justin. But I'm open to notes from anybody. If you think I did a bad job, just you know, send me hate mail. Please, um, let's, let's get into it. You're dying for hate mail, always. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But um, no, this is such a cool episode. And what a cool show. And what a cool way to go back and, and watch it again, um, kind of with fresh eyes. It's been a while since I've seen any of these episodes, honestly. Tell me about like when you first encountered it. Yeah, definitely. You know, just after school, I want to say I was, it was maybe in like first or second grade. When, when did the show come out? Like 1992. Oh, okay. So yeah, I must've been like seven or eight um, rushing home from school. You know, that's your sense of time as a child. Like when you get off the school bus, when, you know, you can catch a little bit of Looney Tunes before like this other show starts, maybe. And it was on that, that Fox after school lineup, which was just, it was, I mean, it was so cool. It was kind of, I guess when the the movies were coming out, but I wasn't, the movies were a little scary. They were a little violent. It wasn't necessarily something that I was allowed to like watch all the time or, um, so the, I'd say the show was really my first introduction to Batman, like aside from just pretending to be Batman or being aware that Batman existed and was somebody who was very cool and fought crime, you know, that makes sense. Um, yeah, but yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't read the comics at all, you know, just, just seeing, seeing the movie really. I grew up in a big family, like in Indiana, and it was just a lot of there was a lot of understanding that we were to kind of keep ourselves entertained, you know? Um, so a lot of pretend and a lot of just playing outside and stuff. So, um, yeah, it was, it was just such a, such a cool dramatic show for, for kids to see, I think. And, um, I just love seeing it after school every day. It was awesome. Yeah. It it really was a a ritual to like rush home after school for me for years (laughs) and, you know, like plant myself in front of the TV uh, and watch Batman the Animated Series. I wanted to read something. Um, I prepared a poem. <laughs> it sounded way more uh, exciting. You, so when you wrote me about the show, you wrote like uh, a very like eloquent sentence about why you love it. Oh no! Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and watch. It's gonna. We're gonna get you canceled <laughs> for saying how much you love Batman the Animated Series. But it's it's a take. I feel like we had. I hadn't thought about mm-hmm. and so you said i really appreciate the animated series as this thing that in- introduced a lot of kids to genre and it seems like an action cartoon but it's really melodramatic operatic surprisingly restrained cartoon that teaches kids to appreciate the slowly paced things placed between bursts of action and i feel like that's like one of the most eloquent ways of di- like distilling why the show is is great and i guess i just wanted to talk more about like 
what you see it as in terms of like introduction to genre. Yeah, absolutely. It's so cool because it's a superhero show and that's what sucks you in as a kid. And you think it's an action show, but there's not, even though there is a lot of punching and it's surprising what they're allowed to get away with, with S&P because of guns and everything, the tone is so spot on. They're, they're so aware of like, hey, we can't like give the kids what they want all the time. Or, or they're just saying, hey, this is what we want. This is the Batman we know. It's about, you know, that, that um, is it goth, goth deco restraint. And to me, it's like more than animation, it's really kind of an introduction to cinema. There's an awareness that, that the people who made this have a deep understanding of noir film. And, and later when, when you see like other superhero cartoons kind of come out, I remember seeing like X-Men and being like, well, this is, if the good guys look that cool, like, you know, this is too cool. This is like <laughs> cool overload. Cool it. Yeah. Oh boy. I let me go back to that bat cave where everything's dark and, and scary, but I, you know, and, and just growing up as like a, a Catholic kid in Indiana, having to go to church it, it is just, I think I really related to this, like, like kind of guilty character who like sat around and brooded a lot as much as a seven-year-old can, I guess. Yeah, I've got the Jewish version of that, which I feel like there's a lot of like crossover. <laughs> Even if my family wasn't very religious, but I feel like it's like built into the DNA of the culture. Yeah. Uh, so relating to these like broody, tortured <laughs> characters that just have, it's never shown as anxiety, but Batman's got a lot of anxiety, I think. You know, it's for the kids. It's for the kids, Justin. Um, no, but they, there's just this pacing that you always know it's going to pay off somehow with with an action set piece at the end or or something but those breadcrumbs are just laid out so deliciously. Um, and you know that y- y- you really trust the filmmakers in their craft to know that this is going somewhere kind of every step of the way. And I, I think, you know, growing up where, where my exposure to like foreign film or art house film was like a very skinny shelf in a blockbuster, it, you, you just know that like, hey, the, these are directors and if you trust them, you're going to be rewarded with, you know, some epiphany of, of, of action or story or emotion. And you just have to kind of trust because the craft is, is so impeccable that it's going to take you down that road um, if you invest the time in it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I like Batman, Justin. <laughs> yeah, also, I like Batman. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Yeah, I don't know if Batman was what introduced me to film or, or like cinema, uh, but I feel like I was super into Hitchcock as a kid. Uh, or at least like, you know, elementary, like late elementary school and stuff or whatever I was allowed to watch into like high school. And I feel like, you know, so much of the animated series was like boarded to evoke like Hitchcock and those kind of like suspense thrillers. And and then also like noir and, and, you know, early gangster films and stuff that like I was primed, even if I didn't know that maybe that's why I liked those things more. Like I was introduced to it in such like a pure visual form when I was so young that like it wasn't conscious and they do such a good job, you know, just like evoking those movies and, and, and living in that kind of style, but also making it their own. Yeah. There's a real trust in the story and the storytellers that are involved. Some of my favorite cartoons as kids were just like, the interstitials on Reading Rainbow. I don't know if you ever watched Reading Rainbow, but I did. They would just like tell the story, and like maybe they'd show a picture, and it would it would cross dissolve between like three edited versions of the picture. But you know, the voice drew you in, the visuals drew you in. Um, 
it was just so evocative based on what your imagination brought to the story, um, which in, in Batman, where, where so much of the setting is, is bleak and so subdued and restrained, you know, you have access to everything in your brain to, to pack into those, those sets and that mise-en-scene. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, I think that Batman, at the same time, an awareness that there was a live-action adaptation you kind of got this understanding that different directors can take these iconic things and bring their own sensibilities to them. Like, you know that even as a kid, you know, like, hey, this Tim Burton guy, he's kind of wacky, you know? Um, yeah. And and even how how Tim Burton made adjustments in the movie, like, hey, the Joker killed Batman's parents. We're just going to do that. It's easier. Seeing that in the cartoon and being a little bit confused how much more complex it was, Um was really interesting to, and just kind of reinforced like this operatic thing, this really dramatic um, tragedy that they were trying to portray in a cartoon for children. It's bonkers. Like, I feel like it's become normalized now because the cartoon is like celebrated for that. And so it's just assumed, but it's still nuts that it existed when it existed and in that form <laughs> like that it, it challenged, you know, there, I mean, I was like six when I started watching it or something like that. So mm-hmm. that's crazy. I mean, you talked about Clayface in your email. That was like one of the episodes you wanted to dive into was like any Clayface episode. And I feel like those are some of like the scariest episodes uh, or like most monstrous uh, and creepy. And uh, I can't believe like I, like I think watching that as a kid is kind of wild. Yeah. Yeah. It's so the Clayface episodes are like, you know, like David Cronenberg for kids kind of, which is kind of how I think of like the fungies sometimes. It's like, we want to make this like a little bit horrible and scary, but it's all like stuff that kids are thinking about anyway. Like what if, what if I could change, what if I didn't look like me? What if, um, yeah, I could, I could change my appearance at will, all that stuff. But, but there's this idea that I don't know, it's always there when you're a kid that, um, you know, Batman is this monster too, but he can just take off his mask. And it's, it's something that, that I never really picked on too, too much as a kid, but watching it now, you really realize like what a complete tragedy is, his, his life is, you know, at the end of Heart of Ice, when he's just staring at Mr. Freeze in, in prison, you're like, Hey, hey man, like, you okay? Like, is this, he's just checking in on him. You know, he knows like, (laughs) Oh, that's that's me. Yeah, that could be me. Yeah, I think that really struck me this time. I didn't remember that shot at the end of mm-hmm. Heart of Ice. I, you know, I think of all like the cool Mr. Freeze stuff, I guess pun intended now. Uh, <laughs> but I think him watching him, I thought was really sweet and also sad because it's like this is the way Batman knows how to love. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I mean, I feel like having either gone to therapy or even just reading about therapy or just opening up as a person is you immediately are like, Oh shit, Batman, <laughs> you got to process this. Yeah. There's got to be a healthier way. There's got to be a better way to live, my man. Yeah. And it's so interesting to see that contrast with like my previous knowledge of Batman, which is like the, you know, the 1960, is it 66 show the Adam West, you know, mm-hmm. camp, camp fest is, is really fascinating, but, um, no, it's great. Justin, do you ever think about like kind of, um, Batman and the tragedy of capitalism? <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely, 100%. And especially in this episode, yeah. that's kind of what struck me because I feel like 
almost every interesting villain is the product of capitalism <laughs> fucking up their lives. Yeah. You know, uh, and whether it's like as simple as like goons and crooks, mm -hmm. you know, who are just trying to get by essentially, who are like trying to climb the ladder that we all think is what we need to attain happiness. But also like if you look at Mr. Freeze or even Clayface or like fame and fortune in Clayface's kind of story. But I think with Mr. Freeze, it's really the bad guy is the the Mark Hamill voiced CEO, yeah. the goth corp guy. It's like. Yes, that, Ferris Boyle is that is that his name? I think yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, he's he's just um like delicious in his like oh like you know the people that's a PR slogan like really it's about my power and and exercising my power over over these little people in my lives to make myself wage richer. slaves. Yes, wage <laughs> Which, slaves. He, that, that's crazy to hear in a yeah nineteen ninety two cartoon hints of like you know Bernie Sanders in there or something. I know it's it's and that. You know, the end of the episode, I guess we're just jumping a little bit, but the fact that, like, it's not only about, like, taking down Mr. Freeze, uh, but it's also about exposing the the horrors of the, the guy who made this happen. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, who, who how they're, how these, you know, kind of tragic antiheroes is kind of the way you can look at these villains. Like, how did they get to doing what they did? And a lot of it is they were pushed by systemic injustice right uh in a larger sense and that like it feels cool that batman is exposing that but at the same time it's like interesting that bruce wayne is kind of like friendly with this guy it's like hey he's still tearing it up you know right. at night bruce and it's like oh gross like how do you reconcile that <laughs> yeah that's that's something that's really cool in this series also how they use bruce wayne to sort of shift tonally that he's able to go between these these two different worlds um, almost, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I guess I'm assuming by this point that everybody has seen this episode and knows all about it. To, so yeah, we are kind of jumping all over the place, but, um, Mark Hamill does a great job portraying this, um, sleazy corporate exec. That's, um, just, yeah, really, really fun to listen to. But I think, you know, back to kind of the tone and, and what's so solid about this series is that the, the filmmakers always understand that it is a tragedy and that, we're kind of viewing the same tragedy, you know, and, and maybe me just thinking this about capitalism is a very like, oh, I'm 35 now. I'm not, I'm not seven. And there's so much injustice going on in the world. And I couldn't see Elon Musk like dressing up like Batman and, and, and solving, you know, crimes and stuff, but <laughs> no, please no. <laughs> um, seeing that like play out, um, in so many different ways, every episode is kind of the same story with a, a million different, um, tragic variations that's really really interesting to see yeah i mean the best episodes i think of the series end in this gray area or this kind of like sad beat where it's like well i guess he beat the bad guy yeah in this like binary good versus evil kind of mentality and that satisfies like six-year-old you but i think it's still like deepening your perspective of like you still feel bad for these characters and the villains are really the ones you know more about yeah as humans and i think it's interesting you mentioned like repeating the same story over and over. I was I was watching this with my girlfriend this morning and she's not interested really in watching Batman. It's not her favorite thing, but she watched this one with me and she she reminded her when we we started talking about it of this like um 
what's it? Oh, man. Um, the Stranger, Camus. Uh, it was like a Camus quote, which is lofty. I have to give it credit because I would never compare <laughs> this to The Stranger. But it's this kind of sad quote that was like, perhaps we cannot prevent this world from being a world in which children are tortured, but we can reduce the number of tortured children. And I feel like that is what Batman is doing. Like he's, it's like acknowledging that like this story is going to be retold over and over. And there is like almost a fatalistic view. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also like accepting that that is life. And we could, it's not a reason to stop bettering things, not a reason to become nihilistic. So that kind of was an, it, to me made it like helped me kind of contextualize Batman's role yeah. in all of this. Yeah. He's true. Yeah. Um, no, deep shit. Thank you for breaking out the camera. That's, that's tight. That's, it's never happened. I, it was all Marissa, <laughs> not me. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm flattered and, and honored, but I think, you know, just seeing how many different versions of, I don't think that this version is, you know, the same version as, as like Zack Snyder, you know, but, um, I think I would rather see Batman as like a cautionary tale of capitalism gone wrong than like this kind of quasi fascist who wears like military clothing and like spray paints it black and then goes out because Let's get away from that, <laughs> you know, because he, he knows better than anybody. And like, he knows better than the government and the system is inherently flawed and broken. And like, it's up to him to, to solve it. I, I think, you know, it's just kind of personal taste to read into it a little more and say like, Oh, I'd rather see a world where, where we don't need Batman. And, and I think in this version, at least of this character's telling, like he understands that too, that he, he doesn't, he wishes he, he didn't need to be this character himself. Yeah. I I think empathy is such a defining part of this trait of this version of Batman. And I think that's probably why partly it's like we grew up with it at the right age, but I think it's like, it's one of the defining characteristics. Like he's always trying to help reform the villains uh he's you know he's a rich dude and you can't get away from bruce wayne being a billionaire uh is intrinsically like questionable and not so great but at least it's like instead of you know getting a goon thrown in jail we have episodes where like he gives him a job or her a job yeah. and, like you know the wayne foundation which there's something about like that middle ground which feels more appealing to me than I mean, yeah, the character is just so broad and so old at this point, like 80 plus years mm-hmm. that, yeah, we're going to see everybody's take on it. Like even Frank Miller's take on Batman, which I feel like started cool and then like spiraled yeah. to become more closed minded and like kind of what you were describing. Like it was a cool because it kind of grounded it in a reality and felt contemporary. And then at least for me, completely veered off into, uh, you know, this 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 kind of hero that uh, I, I don't identify with as a hero. Uh, it's like out of control. <laughs> yeah. And it's cool if you can, if you can read that and, and also see that version of Batman as a, as a cautionary tale of, of its own, like the dangers of fascism and what it means to have an army of Batman that like rules the night and stuff. But then, you know, always, I think some of that nuance is lost on the people who are like, yeah, but this Batman's really cool and his muscles are giant, you know? <laughs> yeah. He's got a cool tank. He's driving a tank. Like even the Nolan movies, which I generally like, I, I like the Dark Knight a lot. Uh, I, I enjoyed Batman Begins and stuff. Yeah, especially when they came out, I was like, "This fucking rules!" Finally, something serious about Batman. Yeah. Even though, like, you know, now I'm like, "No, nah, make it sillier again." Yeah, it, it still is. You know, it's like a he's like military uh, kind of 
iconography, which which is so much less interesting to me. Right. But you even see that in Burton. Like I think he's firing missiles. Yeah. Even in a silly Batman Returns. Yeah, and and maybe it's just me, like being working from home in a pandemic uh, for like a year. You know, in in the midst of great social injustice and unrest. But I'm I'm just kind of like. I like that sad Batman. That's the one for me, you know? Um, yeah. I, I thought it was interesting, like, some of the stuff, um, just stylistically in the show, like, like his, his Batmobile is cool, but it's simple. It's stylized. You know, it's got a grappling hook. Like, kids are going to love that, but it's used in, like, a pretty restrained way. There there are so many interesting action flourishes, like, like Mr. Freeze, you know, using his gun to to freeze the fire hydrant and propel him. So cool. Into, into that, that little um, venue there. That's, that's like, Oh, I could see that being like a consistent power in a modern adaptation that this character would have like all the time, but it's so, it's so pared back. It's really amazing. I think there was one episode. I can't remember which one as a kid that I saw where, where Batman just like used a grappling hook like twice in a row. And even that, I was like, wow, amazing. Like, he's got two? Cool. Um, it's nuts. Uh, but that's how, how big of, like, a tease this show is sometimes. But, you know, if you look at Batman and Robin and you have Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze, you can really see how you can throw the, the baby out with the bathwater in a way that's maybe very entertaining and, and has its own artistic merits, but sort of long-term maybe isn't as lasting to uh, the brand. Yeah, I think that was the first time I saw a movie in theaters and I was like, this is bad. Uh, you know, this and I think in hindsight, I I rewatched it somewhat recently and it's I don't think it holds up great, but it's at least visually fun. I think Schumacher has such like fun like 60s Batman by way of the 90s that like it's yeah. like kind of like visual candy and just like now you're like this was made. Yeah. This is crazy. Uh, but it was so weird to see because I think that was the height of me loving Mr. Freeze, this version of Mr. Freeze. And I feel like, you know, we can talk a little bit about it, but I, you know, and I'm sure you know, but like Mr. Freeze before this was like a D-list villain yeah. that nobody really cared about that had like a gimmick. And I, I think it really was like Paul Dini and Bruce Tim, at least when they talk about it on the commentary, which I rewatched on the Blu-ray. Nice. That's right. <laughs> Uh, and, and, you know, they were like, we, we knew early on, we wanted to kind of develop this character. And I think, I imagine you've probably, as people who create things, I imagine if you're tied to a property, even if you love it, it's probably going to be more fun to play around with characters that haven't gotten explored as much and you get to kind of make them your own. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think if, if you look at like the Marvel cinematic universe, what, was so successful as they were able to kind of start with these characters that didn't have all that, that baggage necessarily. And I thought what was so interesting about, you know, that first Iron Man, because so many of the DC movies are about this protecting the secret identity, this, this dual life that everybody lives, you know, if you're a superhero and then right in the first Marvel movie, they're like, by the end of the movie, they're like, no, we're not going to, we're not going to do that. We can't do that because we got to get to space eventually, you know, or we got to. Yeah. And Thor's going to be in it in a yeah, few years. And he's not going to have a secret identity because his arms are very big. You know, everybody's going to know it's him. But um, yeah, you know, that's it's almost kind of something that that seems to hold back the the DC universe now is just the, there's just all these different set of rules that they're they're playing with. And um, 
It's it's tough. I don't know. There's a lot of baggage with Batman. And I'm sorry if you're out there and you've made a Batman. Um, it's It's got to be tough because this is just, for me, this is just such the quintessential, you know, example of what, who the character is. Yeah, I, I really wish, and I'm curious to see how whatever this newest iteration of Batman turns out, the Matt Reeves one. Um, but, I, you know, I, I saw the trailer and I was like, this doesn't feel that different. The suit still feels kind of like video gamey to me. Uh, feels like armor. And I feel like we've seen this before, but I, I also think we live in a world where people need things justified more. Like ever since, you know, whatever, the once when superhero movies were first being made, I feel like the Dark Knight movies, as goofy as they are, like hit home for people because they like kind of answered how he did all these things. Yeah. But I don't know how much we need that now that we you know, are seeing like uh, Avengers movies and, and Wonder Woman. Yeah. You know, it's tough because these characters are all so iconic in our minds. It's like, Hey, you can't make a sequel anymore. You have to make a prequel. You can't, you know, we, we already know what happens in star Wars. You got to go back and begin in in the beginning. And you got to like the new character development is like seeing where Han Solo's like dice come from that are on the rear view mirror. You know, that's, that's kind of the substitution for, you know, and that has its place in fan service, which is, I'm sure makes, brings people a lot of joy, which is, which is great, uh, but it's not, it's hard. It's just hard. There's nothing new. We're probably not going to make new stuff anymore. So, um, yeah, no, less it. and less. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Hey, love Batman. Love Batman, Justin. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've grappled with loving Batman at this point. You know what I mean? Because I think after a certain point when something is so broad, when it's like so broadly accepted, when it's, Almost like what you were talking about with Iron Man, like the end of Iron Man felt like whatever, like rock and roll Mm -hmm. when it came out. And now it's like the most broad mainstream thing, even if I enjoy the movies, which is like not to knock the stuff that I like about them. But it's still like um, what was risky then is the least risky thing now. Uh, And I still think they take fun risks like I'm enjoying like WandaVision and how they're getting into that Mm -hmm. uh, show. Like, I'm like, yeah, make a sitcom that has something creepy underneath, but it's still the, it's, it's hard to um, stick up for something. It's like, no, you don't need to be the voice shouting. I love this thing when everybody pretty much loves it, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's, there's, um, there's an entire fandom out there that's gonna, that's gonna steer that. Or you, so it's it's okay. We can all relax yeah. and just enjoy enjoy Batman. I guess. No. I mean, that's why I'm so excited about like if they did do if there is a take on Batman that's like, what is this cautionary tale? What if we really lived in Bruce Wayne grappling with the idea of being a billionaire and not being able to help everybody still, or mm-hmm. like if it's wrong for him to be that, and also have like cool action sequences and you know clay faces and what what have you. Yeah, but I I think. There are ways to do it, and maybe it'll just surprise us. But uh, it's it's hard to imagine a better version of it for for me personally than like this kind of distilled version. Yeah, and it's tough too because I know that's that's the version we've seen in our childhood. Um, going back and watching imprinted. it imprinted, yeah, in, ex- absolutely. Um, seeing it again, I was really struck by like just the beauty of seeing like animation on on cells with all its kind of like little imperfections, like. You know, Mr. Freeze's, you know, globe hat, it's not a hat, fishbowl thing is like airbrushed on and it can't be like perfect every time. So it's, it's got this 
just this really warm, like trace back to it. And all those effects like on the Batmobile that, you know, are just kind of dry brushed on with the, with the white snow and everything are really, really incredible. Just how many of the backgrounds are just, you know, black, just in the Batcave and everything. It's, it's really cool design. Um, I think it was almost, to me, it, it made me think of, it was kind of the first show I feel like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong to take this idea of, of a slightly like alternate universe that they could really, that kind of freed, freed them to do, to have a little more fun. Like the idea that it's the fifties, but it's not the fifties. It's kind of something you see like in a sunnier way and like the Incredibles later, you know, just like, yep. Hey, we never brought it, you know, past the fifties design wise, but the technology is all there and how much you can kind of play with that. Like the iconography. I don't know. Have you ever thought about like Batman's computer at all? Like, <laughs> Well, I, I think about like how it can literally do everything. Yeah. But also it's like the most simplistic, like Deus Ex Machina like yeah. block device, but also can't do stuff when he needs it. Yes, yeah. Too. It doesn't even have like a full keyboard, you know? It's like button, button. It's just computer. I love it. It's it's but it's it's always just what you need to like serve the story or to get you to the the next point and it and it talks to him and it's amazing. I don't know. Yeah, I, I love that it takes place in this, you know, 30s through 50s kind of reality where it, it, it just distills everything down to what you need. And I don't know, I feel like a lot of contemporary stuff tries to ground things in reality, reality. And mm-hmm. even, honestly, I was reading the new Batman. They have like new animated comics that have been coming out digitally since uh, like April, which for me was like, we're in a pandemic and this is my comfort food. Yeah. <laughs> I'm subscribing to getting this. Yeah. I, I don't know how you could write on Batman after, after all these, just everything has been done. It's crazy. It's amazing. Um, it's, I've got a few ideas. I got a few <laughs> ideas. Look, <laughs> kicking around uh, for that revival of the animated series. <laughs> right. Yes. I can't, I can't wait. Hey, it got, did it get a green light on HBO max? Like the new, um, I have no idea. Okay. I, I there's been rumors floated around, uh, so. Okay. But it did make me think, like, because over I think you know twenty years, I've been like, what would I do if I were able to tell a Batman story? And you know, there's some like old ass Google Doc I have, and I dusted it off and thought about it, and I was like, there's some stories, but you you also kind of want to keep it the same too. Yeah. Uh, it, it's weird. Yeah, that's tough. That, even seeing how how to reboot that. Um, it's really interesting. Do you do the, the exact same thing or do you kind of update it? Amazing. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I would want something that combined, uh, live in the same continuity, but I'd love to see what a serialized version of this show would be. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I like that they're all mini movies, but it'd be cool to basically play it like a comic book where they're kind of individual stories that are tied together by some sort of larger mystery or something that kind of emotionally uproots Bruce Wayne, something that they would probably do in like a movie, but we still get like whatever, you know, kind of fan servicey episodes where we revisit characters and also just new shit that feels relevant to today. Yeah. No, that's a great, I hope they do that, Justin. I hope they're listening. Yeah, me too. I I just want to watch it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, working on it sounds sounds pretty exhausting, but um, watching it sounds very yeah. very fun. You have to appease a lot of uh, a lot of people. I wonder too. I watched. I think there was like a newly released just documentary on YouTube about making the show, and just how much how much freedom the creative team had was really fascinating. 
Um, it's so cool. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so rare. I feel like you you are the creator of a television show, and I imagine you have much clearer ideas and experience with like what it takes behind the scenes to make something that you love. Yeah. No. Watching watching a documentary and that the name of it is is I forget if it was produced by DC Comics or or what, but um watching those behind the scenes and just seeing, getting a glimpse into like a crew that was just in the right place, the right people at the right time, the right backing, the right, you know, mission statement from the studio, from the animation studio is it's like reading like uh, just a lovely fairy tale, you know, as a, as a child or, or something. Cause those, those things just really don't happen that often. I feel like, and even working on a show, sometimes you can feel like, hey, I think we did everything right, but it's still, you know, it was the wrong time or the wrong place or the wrong, yeah, you know, the wrong fad or it was, you know, vampires 10 years too early or something. Um, it happens all the time and you can't, you just have so little control over that, that when I see something that is really on the pulse of what's happening, I'm just so excited and happy for, for that creative team. Even something like like Twilight, Justin, I'm like, ah, oh, Twilight's cool, you know, because they tapped into something that nobody else was doing at that time. And it's just exciting to see something like that take off if it's creative and it's a new direction. And and I would rather see like a Twilight movie succeed that's about emotions, no matter how problematic than like all the Transformers in the world just kind of hitting each other with scrap pieces of metal and stuff. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, such a, such a cool time that they got to make this cartoon. And I'm just, I'm so happy that I got to experience that. Like right when, you know, when I could, you know, as a kid, that's cool. Yeah. I feel like we were very lucky and I'm sure every generation, you know, obviously values whatever they grew up with. Uh, that's what getting older is, is realizing hey, hey, that getting older, Justin, am I right? Yeah. Don't make yeah, them getting like older. It's... Hey brother, I remember when AOL meant, uh, <laughs> always outside uh, Larry. Uh, I've, uh, I'm an improviser. I can think of things really fast. That was good. That was, I liked but, it. I liked yeah. It. Always outside Larry. Uh, <laughs> Um, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I don't even know where I was going with it. Uh, Sorry, man. No, it was a nice, that was a nice break. We got, we got heavy into Batman for a long time there, Justin, and I appreciate the levity. So thank you, man. Yeah. Th- let's be honest. This isn't a Batman podcast. Uh, <laughs> Well, we should dive into Heart of Ice. I think let's. Oh yeah, let's I'm maybe... sorry. I'm sorry. Like we've been dancing around it, but we haven't really. Yeah, let's dive no, into it. No, I, I think this is this is great because I think talking about the show in general is is it's always fun to hear people's takes. And look, the reason I do this is also just to talk about Batman and uh, with with smart, fun, nice people. Oh, thanks, um, man. Thanks. And one asshole. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, there's nobody I've had on the show who is an asshole. But yeah, this episode. So this is like that. Uh, this is like an iconic episode. It won an Emmy, uh, I believe. It was one of their Emmy wins. So I feel like. Oh, good, good. Bless you for winning. Uh, not a daytime Emmy, but an Emmy. Uh, yeah. Something that you know, kids TV is like now just like really kept away from. Yeah, keep them away. Keep those on the shelf. <laughs> we got to give more stuff to uh, you know brands. People know. Anyway, so I I, I think. 
let's kick it off with just like the title card, right? Yeah. It's a, it's, I think it's a real beautiful kind of minimal title card and the music's really sweet. Very simple, like kind of, kind of newsreel esque. Um, but yeah, I love those title cards. Just so, um, understated and classic little, uh, some snow effects on there. Really nice. I was so sad that working on infinity train, we didn't have title cards cause that's all I wanted out of cartoons. Like growing up, I love title cards. So I'm glad that you, you got title cards. Did you ever make like, um, your own like fan fiction title cards for stuff? Justin? Well, or? No, I, I did a lot of stories. It's a weird you, question. I, I'm sorry. No, I, I'm very uncomfortable right now. Uh, <laughs> Okay, I gotta go. Yeah, we can get back to the episode. I'm sorry. We've uh, we've burned a bridge that we can no longer cross. (laughs) No, I used to like tell stories with like action figures and stuff, and you know, like reenact stuff and 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 all of that. It was more like performing and writing. I drew comics, but it was never like my own title cards. But I I did draw a little art on the VHS. Awesome. Uh, I I would tape all the episodes on, you know, edit out the commercials live. And then I would draw like, you know, the face of a villain, I think on the side. So no title cards, That's cool. but I'm, I'm not, I'm not a visual artist like you. Did you do your own title cards? Um, no, I'm sorry. I don't know why I asked that. I just, I was just curious. It it seems like something that an enthusiast like yourself would do, but, um, it's a beautiful title card. And then do we, do we go to the newsreel from there? They kind of start with this newsreel intro to sort of set the stage. I believe it's it's definitely like one of the earliest things, uh, and and I'm doing a bad job because I didn't really recap. I didn't bank like the exact plot progression, but we learn. Mister Freeze has already been established in yeah. the beginning, and I think we do go into a newsreel of like it's super hot. It's one of the hottest summers in Gotham, but it's very snowy. Yeah, wacky. And then we get we get that Ferris Boyle introduction, which is sort of this altruistic, you know, capitalistic patriarch who's looking out for the city, and this is you know. This is very strange, but it's, we care about people and it's not important, you know, go about your lives. Yeah. I, I love that, that he's presented, a, you know, like that he's getting a humanitarian award by the end of the show. Like that feels like the perfect level of like simple, clear irony. Oh yeah. And it's crazy that that's in a kid's show. Oh yeah. I think that's when I learned what that word meant, humanitarian. I was like, cause Batman at the end, he's like, like, uh, enjoy your award, like humanitarian or something like that. And I was like, oh my, that must be an awful word, you know, looking it up. In the <laughs> I shouldn't dictionary. say the H word. Yeah. It's going to get me in trouble at school. But there's some, <laughs> there's some nice like slapstick humor in there, throwing the snowballs in the, it's always nice when you get a little bit of it. It's very funny because it's a pretty heavy show. Yeah. I think we, we even get some of that through like, you know, I, it's usually like Alfred or. Oh yeah. I guess, I guess there's kind of punny stuff in here, but it's played straight. Like that, you know, freeze, that's Mr. Freeze to you, yeah. you know, kind of thing. Yes, it's a little different than like, yeah, Arnold being like, cool it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, Alfred checks on, on Batman there in the Batcave who's, who's playing computer, you know, which is tight. And uh, he's really the heart of the show, maybe, Alfred. I think so. In terms of like, he recognizes that Bruce is a damaged boy, but it's still like, Hey, make time for yourself, Bruce, you know, have some chicken soup. Well, maybe I'm reading into it too much. Cause this is where I'm at in my life, uh, as an almost 35 year old. <laughs> so these are the things I care about, but I feel like looking at Alfred, almost like looking at Batman and 
freeze almost as foils to each other. And like Bruce and uh, the the CEO Ferris mm. as almost like both are like negative paths that he could go down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like the difference, because I was like, oh, what's the symbology of this chicken soup? You know, other than it being kind of funny that he defeats a villain with chicken soup yeah. and like hot and cold. There is this, and I'm definitely reading into it too much, but this is what, you know, my writer brain wants. Mm-hmm. And it, just this idea that like the way they portray Freeze is so complex because he's somebody who on the outside states he's dead to emotion. He's this guy who is so hurt and so angry, but he's also paralyzed by his trauma. Like he refuses to process it and he's literally containing it. Like mm-hmm. he won't address it. And he's stuck in this space where he like can't forgive what happened, which I mean, yeah, his fucking wife got murdered or almost murdered by a CEO and he's changed forever and won't be able to able to walk around and hold her hand. But all of that aside, he still isn't working through his shit. And I feel like the this idea of like this isolated guy who like, Leaves his goon to die. Yeah. Johnny. So somebody who's like, nah, he's one of us. Johnny. <laughs> he's one of us. We goons take pride in being goons. Capital there's, G. There's always a sympath. I love the sympathetic goon. Like every other episode is just like, nah. And that's how you know the villain is really bad. It's like, yeah. I'm going to freeze his legs. Um, We're leaving you. But also he didn't kill him because uh, I'm sure they would have killed him. <laughs> yeah. But I, the idea that like Freeze has isolated himself from people uh, mm-hmm. and Batman has opened himself up. Like it, it shows like if you have other people in your life to help you like work through your trauma, yeah. Bruce is still fucking it up. You know, <laughs> he's not quite in a great space, but he's better than Mr. Freeze. Who's kind of isolated completely and won't let anybody help him. Cause I feel like you see Batman offer to help and mm-hmm. him turn it down. And I was like the idea of like the soup, Alfred, Alfred soup is like symbolic of just letting people in your life to help you process things yeah. is my uh, deep read into this cartoon with a giant freeze cannon. No, uh, I think that that is completely fair, Justin. And I, I think <laughs> like, I'm guessing when Paul Dini is, is Paul Dini wrote this, uh, Dini, yeah. Dini, sorry. Um, that, that wasn't, you know, necessarily his intention, but, I'm guessing he just sat down to write this just in one like bit of inspiration. Um, but like all good things, just by having those very firm characters in place and those very firm like plot points, you can just read into it so many ways that are, that are really delightful for the viewer. Like um, if you want to watch it as a kid, if you want to watch it as, you know, film analysis as like mm-hmm. commentary on the nineties on capitalism, <laughs> like it's got it all. It's got it all. And capes, you know, it's tight. Yeah, I guess I miss being a fan because I think that's what being a fan is, is like, you did this because of this, right? Uh, and then yeah. usually as a somebody who works on a show, you're like, maybe. Yeah. Or, oh, yeah, sure. That's that was, what you that, thought. That was our only idea. We were very tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, you don't know what the deadline was like and uh, just kind of came together. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, Alfred is lovely. Every time he's in the Batcave, it's just... Uh, Wonderful. And then, of course, Batman already knows where they're going next. And we get oh, yeah. this uh, this introduction of this dope freeze, freeze mobile that's like a tank, but it's not an ice cream truck. You know, it's not. I forget in the Batman and Robin if it's like a full ice cream truck. That would is what would make sense for that character. But it's it's very utilitarian. Um, you get kind of like some like T2 vibes of like, this is going to just, you know, crush through anything 
And then that wonderful like Batmobile introduction into uh, the facility is is really incredible. Like that that hero shot of like the the cycle and the speed lines going through the foreground is really cool. There's so many like really economical shots. I I, I don't want to say like economical, like bad, but just like, hey, this is a beautiful painting we did of the Batmobile. It's not moving. Like, let's animate everything around it. And let's just yes. like hold that cycle because this is like, this is, you know, this is beautiful and we're just going to let it play out. And then it kind of like sets you up for that very dynamic, like kind of like power slide that that the Batmobile does into the facility. Because you're already like primed, you know, it's there. And then, um, you know, just as you're, processing what you're seeing, it hits you with this next shot, which is really cool. Yeah. I think the weight of it really reads. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't thought of it in terms of like T2, but I feel like T2 is also of the era in terms of like, there's a lot of cool shit going on, but it feels grounded at the same time. <laughs> like there's, you know, a liquid metal guy <laughs> and, you know, but also it still feels real. Yeah. It's going to, there's going to be a lot of noise and stuff. Things don't necessarily explode. They just like kind of break apart and make loud crunching noises, which is cool. Yeah. And also it feels way harder uh, to do a lot of what they were doing. Like each shot, it feels like there are a lot of shots that require backgrounds just for one shot. And at least like working in animation, I'm like, I know that there are things we worked around so we didn't have to do some of the stuff that's happening in this episode. Yeah. You just get the idea that everything that people drew, like they weren't, they weren't taking shortcuts necessarily. They were like, hey, I'm going to draw this character guard. This guard It's like a character, but still give them nice little character touches and everything. It's not yeah. just going to be a generic guy standing off in the space, which which happens sometimes when you're in the midst of production, you know. The animation studio, I guess, added all that air air spray or like the stuff on Freeze's helmet. Oh. Uh, they were like, we never would have asked them to do that because it felt like so labor intensive. Mm-hmm. And so overseas, that was all just like was surprised <laughs> Uh, it surprised them when they got it back and they were like, they went through the head of like the studio sunrise, I think did it himself oh. on every one of freeze helmet shots. That's, and that, but that's insane. just like the, the power of just having that kind of level of production that people gravitate towards it and like want to plus it in whatever, you know, whatever I have, I will lend myself to this, you know, cartoon for kids that yes. is tragic. Just and I don't cool. know what the budget was like on Batman, certainly more than a lot of other shows because they had like a full live orchestra. Yeah. But I feel like knowing what kind of budget shows have these days, if if people listening who like watch cartoons see like really cool shit, it doesn't mean that it necessarily has a bigger budget. It just means people really care about making it and yeah. are burning the midnight oil. Like I feel like on fungies, there's so many beautiful like one-off shots and the animation is like gorgeous. And I'm like, ha- just... Seeing you talk about the process of making the theme song online, uh, which is like its own beautiful little piece of art, it seems pretty intensive. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think I think you just gotta kind of know where to, yeah, to spend that midnight oil sometimes. And I I think there are a lot of shows that really can can burn it all the time. But there's you know your the willpower of your crew is definitely a, a, a finite resource that you don't want to exploit. <laughs> And, uh, right. you know, if you're going to ask people to draw stuff, you just want to make sure that hopefully there's a reason story-wise that, that they're seeing it or something special about it that people are going to connect with. And that's, you know, another reason I love Batman is just, just the economy of it is so, so thorough and, and beautiful in that regard. Yeah. And I think the story economy of this episode, just me, this is me like loosely segueing back. 
because uh, <laughs> I realized I pulled you off on a tangent, uh, is so good. Like they fit so much into this story. Uh, mm-hmm. Like this is also the episode where Batman gets a cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. It's uh, fun to see. Like, when do you see a superhero get a cold? Yeah, not. But it makes sense. It makes sense in this episode. I got it. It does. I gotta say, and that's the worst thing that happens to him after being like frozen. You know, he doesn't. There's no kind of like frostbite or anything. It's just he's mildly inconvenienced. And then yeah, the other guy has to be like put in a a, a, ta- a really cool right. tank because <laughs> he's, he's like being flooded with like cool fluids, and Alfred's reflected in it, and Batman's already sitting down. And I think Batman got it worse than the guy whose leg was frozen. Yeah, but his legs are really cold, you know. So and they wanted to I'm draw so that stuff. Yeah, it's cool. They wanted to draw their Tesla coils and everything, which who oh, can man, blame them? All those insert shots, very <laughs> Frankenstein-y or very like Bride of Frankenstein-y, like original. Yeah. It's, mad scientist Um, shit yeah no those are those are great i don't know where i don't know where these bad guys get their goons um they're always they're always great i love it by the end of the episode they're wearing like the full kind of snowsuits but it it kind of tiptoes into that it doesn't like uh it it doesn't spill the beans all at once because that would be a little silly if they all like rolled out of that Mr. Freeze truck wearing like matching snowsuits, I guess. Which they do, I feel like by the time the show, like in 98 or whatever, the redesigned show happened, there was a Mr. Freeze episode and yeah, they're all wearing snowsuits and it's more like 60s Batman style kind of goons. Um, And I remember watching that episode and I was like, huh, this feels a little broader, but I forgot that they wore them in this, but it, it, it does tiptoe into it. It doesn't start that. They all saw how chilly that one guy got, and they were like, we yeah. got to buy some matching hey, parkas. Do you guys want to go out after work? And, and uh, there's a sale. You know, we can get all these parkas together. Yeah, sure. I'd love that. Yeah, I've been uh, thinking about it on my own. <laughs> yeah, I'm really yeah. in stitches over Johnny. That was sad. Um, I, I buy things to heal my pain, just kind of paper over it, so a parka would be nice right about now. yeah. Totally. Why didn't, I guess that's not what Bruce Wayne does, but, um, I heard somewhere, did, did Mike Mignola, did, did he do that Mr. Freeze design? He did. Yeah. He, he designed that character. Wow. Which makes so much sense when you see that character, uh, knowing that. And if people don't know, he's the creator of Hellboy and he loves heads in jars. If you've read any Hellboy comics, there's Mm -hmm. at least a few, but I feel like, it's so clearly a design he would do. Yeah, yeah. There's just such a, a masterful, you know, use of, of line. Just deceptively simple. It, if you think of that design as a kid, you're like, oh, it looks, it looks not too difficult to draw. And then you try and draw it and you're like, oh, this is very, very specific and just um, immensely articulate in its proportions. But that's, that's cool. I don't know. His, his style, like, works with Bruce Timm's style. So, so... Um, in such a wonderful way. But um, also the, the idea that, you know, these, these bad guys have kind of codes of honor, like Johnny getting left mm-hmm. behind. There's like a weird sense of chivalry amongst the Gotham underworld that is uh, kind of old-fashioned and charming, I guess. Yeah, it's a lived-in world, which I feel like is one of the, the treats of the show. It's like you'll get gangster episodes where they're the main characters. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's also very fun to imagine that they're like just sweet guys just trying to make ends meet. I got to work for the cold, dude. Yeah. 
is he union yet? Like, no, he's not, he's not. We're going to go on strike. He, he means well, he means well, but I think he, you know, like he rose up and he didn't have, he wasn't part of a union. So yeah. he has it in his mind that we don't need to be union, but like, really, I think if we sit down with him and talk with him. Yeah. Uh, not nah, that's, um, that's cool. It's cool in this episode. Also, it doesn't happen that often. We see Bruce Wayne go undercover as, uh, as a security guard, which is cool. And they don't telegraph it in as huge a way as they could because he's not really recognizable. He's blonde. I feel like he he says something that's similar to what Bruce Wayne had, or Batman had already said. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's like just a little like wink to the audience that is obvious to an adult. But I feel like the note from some execs on kids shows nowadays would be like, make it clearer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, make it more obvious. Need to see Bruce like bleaching his hair. You know, exactly. At home, Alfred's helping him. You know, making sure there are no, no. Oh, Mister Wade, no I roots. got it all over your soup. Uh, no roots showing, Mister Wade. Um, <laughs> Alfred. Hey, we're we're fans of all Alfreds here. Yeah, the Alfred verse. That's what I want to see. Um, <laughs> but Bruce and Batman work together. They work. They're great together. And then he immediately like puts his clothes back on to read the secret file, which is cool, so that he's yeah. ready when Mister Freeze shows up. Because. Um, because you know you're going in, something's going to happen. And and him running in, him having to like get into the building um, as the ice wall is being created. I'm not sure. Is this the same scene uh, or am I jumping ahead? Maybe jumping it. I think he watches the videotape. We get that lovely line about right um, when the wage slaves start acting like they own the place. It's time to pull the plug. And then that guy murders his cold wife. Um and Nora. Uh, Nora. <laughs> and then I guess Batman gets captured and we go kind of like Empire Strikes Back with him hanging upside down in the, in the ice cave. That's all I could think. I was like, yeah. yeah, this is Luke hanging upside down. And we've got Luke voicing you yeah. know, the, the other bad guy before he was the Joker. Right. Yeah. And that's I mean, I think I knew this Batman really before Star Wars, actually, just because I didn't grow up going to the you know, maybe with the re-release of Star Wars um, was something that I was more aware of, but I wouldn't have even gotten that reference as a kid, you know? No. I, I was Mark Hamill was the Joker before he was Luke Skywalker to me, and I, I think I saw Star yeah. Wars uh, around the same time, but I was like, nah, this is, this is who he is, iconically. Um, that's cool. You're a cool kid, Justin. Well, I just was a nerd. Kids. But you know that the cinematic trap of um, it's got to be a cinematic trap, but you're so swept up in the emotions, you know, the story. It's it's believable that Mr. Freeze would try and kill him or not kill him by hanging up him upside down with with ice handcuffs. And it doesn't it doesn't feel like painful, you know, and that Mr. Freeze doesn't take into account Batman's like rock hard abs, how he can just kind of Pilate his way out of that that trap also. Um, I doubt you've used a reformer, Batman. Don't try to reform (laughs) me. (laughs) I just Um, want Mr. Freeze to talk about Pilates. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm being rehabilitated, Batman. and I'm getting into this. Um, There's this idea that, yeah, villains love revenge, but they still got to express themselves. You know, there is like, there is just a very creative person deep down inside everybody in Gotham city. That's like waiting to get out. If they just, they, they snap at some point, whether it's like bats or, you know, being a popsicle man or, or whatever. 
And maybe honestly, this is me being optimistic and and mushy about humanity, but I'm like, I think, but also towards that sort of bitter end, I think we all have that inside of us. I think there is like, I feel like being a kid is all about expressing your imagination and being allowed to do that. And these villains are people who like have this very creative, like it's like that is the creative part of all of us. And it's just warped through this horrible filter, but at least they get to express themselves. But yeah. Yeah. So that's good. So that's, I don't know. That's nice. I mean, he knows something about building a Mr. Freeze suit. Like it looks good. Like it, it's beautiful. The, the colors are great, Freeze. Sure. It's practical, but it looks good too. Um, yeah. yeah. And then, um, yeah, they all get trapped. I love when I mean, you're talking about that wall of ice. I love the way that wall of ice forms over, you know, it's Ice is tricky. How do you how do you do ice? It's like on eights. It's like on fours or something. It just kind of slowly. And you're talking about frame rate, right? Yeah. Sorry, I'm getting. No, I'm just kind of getting into it. Yeah. Um, It just there are a lot of different tricks they use to to form the ice. Whether it you know cross dissolves on as like a painted cell background, or it um, slowly forms um, just at a a really slow frame rate. And then those those noises are really. The sound design is so so sparse at times, but when they when they use something like that beam blast, that ice blast is really it's iconic. Ah, to me, it's like yeah. a lightsaber style iconic, even though it's way less pop culturally <laughs> relevant to people. But um, like Mr. Freeze's ice beam is like uh, such a unique sound. It sounds great. It sounds really. I'm gonna set that to my ringtone after this. I think because I just want to hear that. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then my alarm. Get, we get uh we get Batman saving the day, I guess, with the chicken soup. He he does a nice like reverse punch, I guess, against that that bad guy that's pretty cool. I feel like that's like a classic Batman thing that I don't know if this was the first time we saw it, but it definitely yeah. becomes an iconic thing that he does. Yes. I don't know if he had done that in the movie at some point, but you're that's definitely, you know, something that my brother and I imitated over and over again. Um so satisfying. Not even looking, he's that good. Yeah. That's great. And then um, he gets his belt back, which I guess is where the chicken soup was maybe, or it was under his cape. Yeah, it's a huge chicken soup. Uh, So I don't know, like if his belt is a TARDIS or, uh, you know, what's going on, but we accept it. That's what's great about animation, you know? Yeah, uh, he just pulled it out from somewhere. (laughs) We cheated it and nobody cared. Yeah. Yes. We were swept up in the tragedy. And then, well, I um, love the sound design of of like when the helmet cracks and like what yeah. Michael Ansara, the voice actor, who I think is so good. It's like such a mix of like understated, but like still has enough that it doesn't seem flat. Yeah. Uh, the, whatever they do, that crackle that sounds so horrifying <laughs> when he's like, oh, revenge <laughs> or whatever he's saying. It's really nice. It's something that you can tell they carved out space for in the script. Like we need to hear the sound of this cracking because it's so, so important. Um, something you can, you can do in like a 22 minute episode that maybe is a little bit harder to, well, they to even do. have a justification too with like why he's strong. Like, I don't think I would have questioned at this point, but he's like my soup, like the suit that keeps me alive allows me to like have twice the strength of a normal man or something yeah. like that. And I was like, yeah, sure. You're justifying things more than any other cartoon has at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's nice, nice world building, definitely. Um, and then I guess the reporters there at the end to kind of from the beginning mm-hmm. newsreel to Summer Gleason. 
That's she, her name. She can. Is that is it's Summer who's in the the original Batman movie? Mm. It's a different character. Uh, or, Vicky or Vale. Vicky Vale. Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't. I don't know my periphery characters quite as well. As, um, I only know these. I. I, I was going to struggle with remembering Vicky Vale's name, but yeah, Summer Gleason is like a recurring kind of side character. Gotcha. Okay. She gets one or two episodes where she's kind of like the, you know, the central side character where it's like, oh, there's a ninja here and like Batman has to save her, but he, not reveal who he is. And she's kidnapped with, you know, Bruce Wayne. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good time. It is. <laughs> um, yeah, and then there's just this this horrible, sad ending. Um, incredible, though, the way it, it mirrors the opening and um, you just see Batman there brooding. Batman the Brooder is what I have in all caps in my notes here. So, yeah, yeah, we just get sadness atop sadness. We have Freeze looking down at that, you know, ballerina. I guess Paul Dini wanted originally to have, like, Freeze cry snowflakes. Mm. Uh, in the end and they didn't do that. But uh, I think that was like the first image when he talks about writing it was the end and he worked backwards from there. So I feel like it ended with this tragedy, which I think that that ending is pretty damn powerful. There's just a little hint of um, light on the, on the jar on the, when, he, when Mr. Freeze touches it and the snow stops. That's really nice detail. The way, the way that this show can hold your attention just with very simple graphic imagery is really incredible. I don't know if that's because of kind of the texture and some of the paintings, but it just works. You know, and it looks completely different also on, on a high-definition television. I don't think um, I've, I've seen it recently like on an LCD monitor, but it's, it still works. All that texture kind of makes it even, even more tactile in a way. Yeah, it's beautiful. I kind of miss, I know they cleaned it up for like the Blu-ray and streaming releases and there were like little pieces of grain that I feel like they got rid of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and while everything like pops better and like is like the perfect version of it, there's part of me that still wants it to be a little, uh, you know, just just keep the mistakes <laughs> a little yeah. bit. I just, um, I, I like to just tape hair to my TV. You know, I just have a... Oh, you Dude. got one of those hair TVs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just do a hair pass. And um, <laughs> what I do is I just rub a glue stick all over the, the flat screen and then just take all my beard hair that I get. You're just sweeping it up. Uh, yeah. Right, don't throw that away. <laughs> yeah. I was using that. I, yeah. I've got some old scotch tape that already touched the carpet and it's gross looking. I'm going to put my hair on it and then put it on the TV. <laughs> but yeah, Justin, what, a, what an amazing episode. I don't know. I mean, the legacy, everybody knows it's like the best app. I think we all have our favorites that are kind of for personal reasons or a particular time where one really resonates with us. But I, I feel like this is kind of the undisputed, you know, king. Um, yeah, this is the one. I feel like everybody points to this one. Even if it's like somebody's saying that's not my favorite episode, they're like, yes, this is this is on a pedestal for a reason. And it held up, you know? Yeah. Every yeah. single time. And so so early in the show, too. I don't know. I I think on HBO Max it's like four. I don't know in production if that's what it was or not. But I think it's a little later in production, maybe. But it's still early on. I mean, mm-hmm. they made like you know, if you count the newer design stuff, like 108, 109 episodes uh, of this. So I think if anything, it like set the tone for what kind of stories they wanted to tell later. Like yeah, it's like oh, this is what's 
most successful. Like these villains who also are driven by more than just like revenge or beating Batman. Like he doesn't even pull off his cowl. Like right. he's just like, yeah, I'm going to leave you hanging that I don't care about you. You're just kind of in the way. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. He doesn't, he doesn't, this is not your something. <laughs> what he yeah. says. Well, and then I, that, yeah. I wonder if that's nice to hear as Batman or not, or if that's like, Oh, well, cool. It's not personal. That's nice. Um, well, I'm spending a lot of time brooding and looking stuff about, up about you. And it feels like it's a mismatched amount <laughs> yeah. of energy being put into this relationship. Just, I don't feel like it's being reciprocated really. And that's, that's, um, unsettling. It's disturbing. It's not going to keep me from doing my job, but you know, um, but, uh, what a cool episode to have, you know, I'm sure it must've been exciting in the writer's room to, to crack something like this early on and really just feel, I hope they, I hope they didn't work that night or something. I hope they took the night off like working on the series and just went home and slept like, cool. That's a good one. That'll be cool. Uh, good night. (laughs) And just lie down mummy repose. Night, night, Batman. Yeah. I have this figure here, which I had to bring out just to show you. Oh, cool. Um, I, I decided to buy the the Mr. Freeze figure from the series online because I never had... I had like a used one. It uh-huh. was very cool. My mom got me the action figure, but it didn't come with this little ice blaster, so I never had it new. So I figured as an adult, as a treat in a pandemic. That's cool. Uh, I think you've earned that, Justin. Well, let me ask you this. Have I earned the Italian variant that's on its way of the same <laughs> card? But I bought because his name is translates to Mr. Fredo. <laughs> oh, Bongiorno. Of course you have. <laughs> yeah. Piace. Yeah. Um, no, that's incredible. You know, it's weird. I was, um, I was actually one of my first gigs in animation was I was, I was 18. I was an intern on the original Teen Titans show. Oh, cool. Um, which was amazing. Like Glenn Murakami was, was the showrunner and I was in, idiot kid and I didn't know anything and I made photocopies all day and I would like pour over those like Bruce Tim model sheets and just dream about being able to draw at all, let alone like that. But that was, I remember that being one of the big reasons that they didn't get renewed that last season was they had this big meeting with a toy company. And apparently this exec was like, Hey, these are like teenagers. They're too skinny. Nobody wants to buy these action figures. And that was it. And that was it. And I, I just think going back and, and learning more about this series, it's so cool to know that they made it at a time when they could make something kind of divorced of those commercial interests. Like, hey, this has to be tied to toys. This, this has to be. It was just like, no, we just need this as an ambassador for like what Batman is as, as a brand. And we're, we're going to let these two artists do whatever they want with this, you know, sacred IP. <laughs> Kind of, it's it's unheard of. It feels like such magic. Um, yeah, but that's well, a really, I guess that's a really cool action figure too. Thank you. I had to pull it out. Uh, this is this this is the only opportunity I get to show it off <laughs> for for the listeners at home. It's very it's a very tasteful and iconic action figure. It's cool. Yeah, I searched eBay for the ones that had the best card backs. If I'm going to buy it with yeah. my own money, yes, yeah, you want to make sure it's in good condition, of course. Well, I guess kind of wanted to touch upon like the fungies, which is your show. And, and I guess the, it's obviously tonally very different, but uh, I, I love it. I, I also loved all kinds of cartoons growing up. So like Batman is like only one part of myself. And I feel like it's fun to see you draw Batman in your own style too. Like you've posted on Twitter or like you'll have, 
you know, Seth dressed up or the characters from Fungie's dressed up as oh, Batman right. and yeah. Robin or something. It's like a Halloween picture. Um, but for people who haven't seen the Fungies, I just wanted to, first of all, say I love it. And, and I wanted you to, you know, maybe share what it was like to make it and be making it and why they, what it is. Ah, oh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Justin. Um, no, I, I love the Fungies too. I've been, um, just so, um, so, so privileged with good luck to be able to make this cartoon at Cartoon Network. Um, the Fungies is on HBO Max right now. You can watch all of season one on HBO Max. And yeah, for me, it's like kind of, kind of the cartoon shows I was watching just before I got into Batman, where I was even more naive and, and almost like, I, I would say the Fungies is, um, I'm, it's a very funny show and it's very silly and colorful and entertaining. I, I will obliterate all that credibility by like going into the inner workings of, of my mind of maybe how it was created and stuff. But to me, like the fungies is kind of like Batman in that it's a genre cartoon. Like I know everybody says animation isn't a genre, but I think that that specific kind of nineties kids TV, like borderline toy commercial, like popples, noozles, Fraggle Rock, Wuzzles, you know, all these, all these creature shows. I loved watching those shows as a kid, you know, even like David the Gnome. And there was such a, a naive, like, sincerity to me in watching those shows that I think going back and watching them now, you realize, like, hey, that wasn't the show. Some of these shows aren't that good. But, like, that's what we as children brought to the show, um, which I think is really cool. Like, when you're not even necessarily like processing what you're watching because really you're playing with Legos, but the TV is on in the background uh-huh. or something, or really you're like doing your homework and the, the cartoon is there to distract you from the fact that you don't want to do your homework or something. Um, but yeah, I just want to make something that was really colorful and fun and, you know, had its own world kind of, kind of like the Smurfs. They're these like prehistoric mushroom people. They can, I don't know, take their body parts off and on and switch them around and stuff. It's a little bit horrifying if you think about it. And then just all this crazy stuff happens. I don't know if I'm really selling it, Justin. But Oh, um, you are. You are. I mean, I, yeah, it is like colorful and funny and sincere, but I think not at the expense of being like super entertaining. And like, to me, it's a show that like is perfect for children and adults, like, and in a way that is like you, you could watch it as a child and be in, enjoying it in a way that I don't know this is now I'm starting to sound like, you know, like an advertiser where I'm like, it's like a Pixar oh, movie where like no, the please. parents are happy yeah. too. But I, I think it is like a legitimately funny show. Like, like you were saying, like it, it feels like a, a, a legacy property from like when we were growing up that doesn't, didn't exist, but is being treated like, you know, this like toy franchise where you could, I, I also just want fungies toys where you pull out their arms and heads and fill them with things. And Mr. Potato had them around and yeah, but it also has good writing and comedy and, you know, character to it on top of, you know, as opposed to a lot of those shows we were talking about or some of them where it felt like they were maybe a little bit hollow, uh, not necessarily like the Henson stuff or, you know, right. But yeah, they were, yeah, there were people that were just trying to, um, make a lot of cartoons, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure it's yeah. tough. Um, but we wanted to kind of like say like, Hey, what if we rebooted a cartoon that never really existed in the first place? What would that be like? Um, what would that look like? Kind of down to like this, this intro that's ridiculously, you know, over animated and bubbly with these, these like this bustling score. And, um, 
It is perfect. It, when when I saw it for the first time, I watched it like 20 times in a row or something. Like it's so I mean, it's also an earworm, but it's like such a such a perfect distillation. Uh it feels like original but also like evocative at, at the same time. Yeah, it's almost like when I feel like when I go back and watch cartoons from my childhood, you know, I get as far as that David the Gnome intro and then I'm I'm like, "Oh, I I'm good. I've tapped into that feeling and now now I, I should probably go like pay my taxes and walk the dog or something. But um, yeah, no, but definitely the whole episode, all of, all of the fungies is good though. Not just the intro, but, but we wanted that to kind of set the tone for like this, this weird colorful sandbox that we're going to be playing in every episode. But yeah, I like, I like the fungies. It's been such a joy to create it. And um, the, the crew is amazing. And we, we, we worked really hard and, yeah, it's fun. It's great. And I, whenever I tell people about it, like friends about it, uh, the one of the selling points is also Terry Gross is the voice of a dinosaur. And I feel like there's a certain type of person who's very excited about that. Yeah, maybe you want to watch out for those people. No, I'm one of those people, definitely. And um, I think that's just like, oh, hearing this voice all my life as, as um, in childhood, you know, growing up with public radio always on or in the car you you just her voice is so iconic to me and synonymous i i know she's been doing her job for decades but to me it's like takes me back to my childhood instantly and she's she's a great dinosaur she's a really good sport about being in the cartoon too she's she's amazing and just to to be able to support terry gross and her work is like Cool. We be in my cartoon. Thank you so much. Thank you for doing all that you do for journalism and radio and and everything. You know. I know. It's like she reads the books she talks about. She looks like feels like she actually does the research for every single thing. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know how she has time to do that. And uh, but that's why she's so good. Yeah. Um. But it's a, you know, it's a really crazy cast of like the main character Seth is of course you're you're in the show Justin you play Nevin which is what a treat. Know, what a, um, a beautiful, funny, and, and tragic character in his, in his own right. <laughs> um, and uh, it's just a really, um, you know, the cast is just, there are a lot of people with no experience and a lot of people with a, with a ton of improv experience, like Edie Patterson, you know, from Righteous Gemstones is just so hilarious every time. And, and Sam Richardson, you know, from the, just these really like veteran comedy actors alongside People like Terry Gross um, and, you know, who, whoever our, our guest star of the week is. So And Jennifer Coolidge, who I think is, I can only imagine how funny every take is. Because uh, yeah. we never, I never worked with her directly. I think those were like remote records for you yeah. guys. Yeah, she, she's incredible. Jennifer Coolidge is a character in the, um, the main character, Seth, his mom, Nancy, is kind of based on my mom, Nancy. Very subtle reference to her. It's played by Jennifer Coolidge and she is just, her, her voice is like a musical instrument, you know, that, um, it's, it's amazing. It's really amazing. And she's just such a character and there's so much stuff that she says that we can't put in the show either because she just (laughs) is like a, a tornado of, of hilarity, um, in her own understated way. Yeah. Jennifer Coolidge is so cool. The first time she came in for a read, it was just like, um, I don't say this to to embarrass Jennifer or anything, or I just mean what an amazing person she is. She she had something in her eye, and she was just like, "Oh, sorry, like I I had a 
I, I reached into my purse and I had a pepper grinder in there and I, I accidentally <laughs> ground some pepper onto my hand and now it's in my eye and oh, what the flip, where are my glasses? You know, just you, you want to be recording constantly. And I just, um, I hope I get to work with her again. She's incredible. I, I mean, I want to, I think one of the only things that I got to listen to that she did, Katie Aldworth, who works uh, on the show, who's a, a buddy of an old buddy of mine. I remember she played me like a series of takes of Jennifer saying it's my birthday or something. <laughs> like it really was just like, it's my birthday or whatever it was. But she, it was like every take and she was like, we can't, it's so hard to pick. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. No. And um, yes, it's, it's incredible. There's so many like curse words thrown out and everything. And you don't want to somebody like that, you know, I feel like one of the entire, you know, philosophies of the show is just find people who do what they do and, and find a place to, to fit them in somehow and accommodate them however you have to, because it's just, it's worth it. It's amazing. Everything she says. The June squib, I feel like is so fun. I mean, I'm just like, you know, yeah. Nikki Yang, all these, all these people are like, bring their, their selves and their, their own like uh, voices <laughs> just in commitment to the yeah. characters. Yeah. Nikki's great. She was, she was my board partner on Clarence actually, another Cartoon Network show. Um, and she's always so funny um, as BMO and as Little Lemon in the show. It's, it's great. It's a great cast. And Justin, you too. You know, I do what I can surrounded by, <laughs> I mean, you, you make it real easy. It's like such a, it's, it's like such a fun, it's like one of the most fun experiences I've, I've had. So doing voiceover and stuff. So it's a true treat. Ah, thank you, Justin. There was a line I heard today that really cracked me up where you're like, you, we had one job. I'm sorry. I don't mean to do an impression of you. No, I like hearing, uh, other versions of, uh, Nevin, <laughs> especially like if I'm doing ADR, it's very fun to hear everybody's impression of this insane character. Yeah. This he's, um, pushed voice. But yeah, that's, that's the fungies in a nutshell is, uh, is a funny cartoon for kids. Uh, but also I, adults, if you, if you like cartoons, I think you'll like it. <laughs> and it's on HBO max with Batman. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a pairing right there that I don't know what you would want to do first exactly. Very but. dark to very colorful, very colorful to very dark. Let's make a sandwich. <laughs> Pumpernickel or, or whatever. Anyway. Um but yeah, it's on it's on HBO Max and you can see all all forty episodes on there. Yeah. Well, I think that I think we covered it. I think we talked about Everything from, you know, late stage capitalism to chicken soup. Oh, my God. Are people going to listen to this? I'm sorry. I don't know if I should have brought up like Batman is a fascist or all that. I don't know. Maybe um, is it too much? You go too far? I think we're good. I think there's every kind of Batman fan out there. And I think at this point, like almost 80 episodes into this podcast, they know the kinds of people who I bring on the show. And also you're allowed to have different opinions if you don't uh, agree with that. But I think most people seem to be open to talking about Batman in whatever form. Okay. Oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah. But you're freaking canceled, man. <laughs> but um, no, it's such, such an honor to talk about this iconic episode with you, Justin. And um, yeah, if you, if somebody else wants to talk about it, who's cooler than me, just, just throw this interview out and please start over again. I understand. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. I'll do that. <laughs> I'll just throw it away. Uh, thanks so much for doing it, man. It was it was really fun. Where where can people find you on the internet online? If- oh yeah, I I forgot about that. Um, just you know, I'm on I'm on Instagram. Stephen P. Neary. Just do a lot of uh, 
comics, a lot of, a lot of autobiographical comics. They're <laughs> that's, great. That's, that's how you sell it. And Twitter now too, because um, that's fun also. So I'm around. Yeah, you can find me. Thanks. Cool. Thanks for doing the show. Thanks, Justin. This is so cool. And that was Stephen Neary. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and to the entire run of recent episodes. If you like the show, rate and subscribe on Apple and follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at BTAS Podcast and me at Hey Justin. You can donate to the show at patreon.com slash BTAS Podcast. The tiers have been updated for 2021 and they help keep the show archive free and pay for the production and hosting and editing. Batman the Animated Podcast is hosted and produced by me, Justin Michael. Tom Smith created the show logo, and Casey Trela helped produce the theme song. Brian Holmes edited this episode, and Harry Chaskin is, as always, the booming voice of the podcast. Thank you again to my guest, Stephen Neary, and to Jace Armstrong, a.k.a. Kevin Conroybot, for a triumphant return. It's been too long. Lastly, and, and certainly not leastly, I want to thank Tori Malatia. We have, well, let's be honest, we've had a rough go of it during these sixth anniversary episodes. And I, I guess I just want to acknowledge that uh, we are still extremely close real life friends who know each other in real life. Even if when I called him to say, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings, he said, I'm beyond emotions. They've been frozen dead in me. Tori, you know, it's okay to tell me how you really feel. We're real-life friends. I don't think bottling things up is all that helpful, but, you know, we all move through things at our own pace, and uh, I'm with you no matter what, buddy. All right, well, that's it. Watch The Fungies on HBO Max. But until the next episode, whenever it is, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.